You're listening to a podcast from Riverview Church in Bowness, recorded during one of our Sunday gatherings. For more information about Riverview Church, or service times, or contact details, go to riverviewchurch.uk or find us on Facebook at Riverview Bowness. God is good, isn't he? And we've really felt his presence this morning, and that's just been so good. And he's just reminding us that everything is by faith. Everything we have in him is by faith. So, the last time I spoke here, which was just a couple of weeks ago, I spoke on Joshua, and my theme was, faith is the key. I hope it encouraged you. Um, There was so much about it that was encouraging me. Uh, And uh, David pointed out to me that I kept talking about the sword of faith instead of um, locking, locking swords, instead of locking shields. But, you know, locking shields has so blessed me, and then I told you locking swords. So I apologize for that, but gosh, you know, old age is not coming itself. Um, When we started out looking last time about faith being the key, we were considering the spies being sent into Canaan. And remember, um, I was shocked at how few of you knew this chorus, and then I remembered just how old I was getting. Sad, isn't it, Ian? It is. But some of you did remember. Twelve men went to spy in Canaan. Oh, oh, good. Carol and Susan knew that as well. So I'm not maybe just quite as old as I was thinking I was. Okay. <laughs> okay. So of course, then we started to look at Joshua, and Joshua was one of the two spies. Um, who was sent in, and he ended up being one of the two men older than 20 who didn't die in the desert before reaching and entering the promised land. And the other one was Caleb. And Caleb seems to me to be a bit overlooked sometimes. And, you know, um, I do love an underdog. I do like to be fighting their corner. Usually it's women, but um, in this case it's a man, and he's been overlooked as well. So I want to look at Caleb in a little more um, detail this morning. So could you turn with me, please, to Numbers 13? And we're going to read, it's quite long, I apologise, but I'm sure you'll know why I'm reading it. Um, From verse 16, and we're going right through to chapter 14 and verse 10. The writer's just given the names of all these 12 spies. There was one representative from each of the 12 tribes. So here we go. Well, I'll go to 17. When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, go up through the Negev and on into the hill country, see what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How's the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees on it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. It was the season for the first ripe grapes. So they went up and explored the land from the desert of Zin as far as Rehob towards Labo Hamath. They went up through the Negev and came to Hebron, where Ahiman, Sheshi, and Talmi, the descendants of Anak, lived. Hebron had been built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. 
When they reached the valley of Eshcol, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them, along with some pomegranates and figs. That place was called the valley of Eshcol because the cluster of grapes the Israelites cut off there. At the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. Love Paran. You can come and visit there anytime you like. There they reported, it's what my house is called, sorry. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack these people, they're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they'd explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak came from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we looked the same to them. And that night, all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in this desert, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he'll lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will swallow them up. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. These 12 men were obviously highly respected within their own tribes. They were chosen because the people knew that they had a word that could be trusted. They were leaders of the people. And we need to remember it was not exactly God's idea to send in spies. It was the leaders, the men who had Moses' ear. I'm saying this because earlier in Numbers 13, in verses 1 and 2, it does say, the Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the Israelites. But this comes after 
a blatant disregard for what Moses was doing. Moses was God-ordained, and the people knew that. But suddenly, they're complaining, and they're moaning. And unfortunately for Moses, even down to Aaron and Miriam at this time, the people grumbled and complained it would have been better to stay in Egypt. Had they forgotten what they were in Egypt? They were slaves. They were persecuted. They had absolutely no rights. Deuteronomy 1 tells us what Moses said to the Israelites. In verse 20 it says, Then I said to you, you have reached the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord is giving us. See, the Lord has given you the land. Go up and take possession of it, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, told you. Do not be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Then all of you came to me and said, let us send men ahead to spy out the land for us and bring back a report about the route we are to take and the towns we will come to. And the idea seemed good to me, so I selected 12 of you, one from each tribe. Go to Hebrews and read chapters 3 and 4 to get a New Testament commentary on the Exodus. Listen to verses 7 to 11 of chapter 3. So as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert where your fathers tested and tried me and for 40 years saw what I did. That's why I was angry with that generation. And I said, their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. This is God's people. It's not the people in the world. It's not the Canaanites and the Amalekites and all the other ites that are named there. It's God's people. And yet they let him down at every turn. They were a people who saw firsthand what God could do. Yet every time there was a problem, it was, oh, woe is me. That made you jump, made me too. Woe is me, oh, poor me, poor me. Why, 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 God? And then they came up with their own solutions. And that cost them dearly. So here's my key thought for the, t or the title of my message today. It's unbelief robs blessing. It makes sense. If faith is the key, then if we don't believe and have unbelief, it robs blessing. So looking towards the promised land as they stood there should have been an exciting and a really special time for the Israelites. They'd been delivered from slavery They'd been set free by the blood of the Passover lamb. They were protected and provided for as they made their way th through the desert. And they'd come to the edge of the promise. And all they had to do was to step into the promise, this land that God had given them two years on from when they left Egypt. Two years on, they could move right in. But what did they do? They want spies to go in and just check it out to see if they can do it. As if God hasn't shown them all the way through. <laughs> they can't do anything on their own. But he has all power and he has all authority to do whatever he chooses to do. 
God had already told them what the land was like. They didn't need to send in spies. He told them many times. He told them what nations were already there and how he would defeat them and give them their promised inheritance. So what need was there for men to go in to spy out the land? But sad to say, human nature, myself included, prefers to walk by sight rather than by faith. It costs us a lot, but it costs them so much. When we don't believe, we don't see the blessing. The spies searched the land and even brought back some of the wonderful fruit. Those grapes having to be carried on two poles because of their size, it's still a symbol in, in Israel today. But although they saw the good things, 10 of them also struck fear in the people's hearts because they also saw the giants, the soldiers of great valor, men they knew on their own they could not defeat and they completely forgot they were not on their own. There was only three people remembering that God was in it all and that was Moses, Joshua and the forgotten Caleb. Those 10 spies are like many Christians today. They've spied out their inheritance in Christ and they've even tasted some of the fruits of blessing, but their unbelief keeps them from entering in by faith. And as I wrote that, I realized it's so true for me as much as for anyone. Faith is the key to unlocking all that God has for us. So, Riverview, let's not let unbelief rob us of God's blessing. Remember, unbelief sees all the obstacles, but faith sees the opportunities. We have been promised a wonderful inheritance in Christ. In Exodus 15, Israel is singing in great victory, but here they are listening to human voices and weeping in defeat. They seem to forget all that God had done for them over the past two years. They'd seen his power and his glory, and yet they kept tempting him with their attitude of rebellion and unbelief. And you know, they paid a really heavy price. They had another 38 years of wandering around that desert until all but Joshua and Caleb were left of the adults who had left Egypt. Let's not us keep wandering around over past ground. He's able to deal with everything you've been through. All you've done, regardless of how ashamed you are of it or whatever it is, he has dealt with it and there is a promised land for us to trust God for and to step right into. Eternal life doesn't start when we die. It didn't start for, for the three people that we've talked about this morning. It started when they gave their lives to Jesus. Let me take you back to Caleb, verse 30 of Numbers 13. It says, I'll remind you, then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and he said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. He charged the people to move forward and his charge was threefold. There was three things he was telling them. It was a charge to, first of all, expect harmony among God's people. They were in it together. The second was 
to expect the hand of God to move among the people in the same way as they'd been doing for the last two years. And he expected, the other charge was to share the harvest intended for God's people. He was going in to take the land. So number one, I think Caleb fully realized, or, or sorry, fully expected that the people would remember all that God had done, all the power and authority. And he thought, if push comes to shove, we'll all go together. They'll all come. And I love the words that the verse begins with because I can just picture Caleb in the middle of this crowd and everyone's having their say. And there he is, he stands up to speak and he does. And he gets silence. I suppose some people might think that was naivety, but he's a well-respected leader. And because he got silence, but his excited words fell on deaf ears. It took me a long time as a head teacher to realize that children don't actually, when they're sitting, you're being very, very respectful this morning, but when they come into assembly and sit down and you've got 400 and something sitting in front of you, they've all got something to say to each other. And so we used to stand at the front saying, quiet, we're waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. And then someone taught me this lovely symbol. And guess what? It worked. Do you know what? It even worked in Israel. If you stood at the front, just put your hand up and waited, silence fell. They all saw that each other. It didn't work so well with the secondary school, I have to say, but the primary, they managed it very well. And I have this picture of Caleb standing there with his hand up and getting that respect. He got quiet, but going into a land full of hostile giants, isn't going to happen. Caleb knows that people are powerful when they have one voice. We know that. The people that shout loudest, all the people together, they're the people that get things done. He knows that if they have one voice, when they speak and they move as one, when they're tuned into what God is saying and doing as he's told them to do. Biblical examples of harmony among God's people are many. Probably the one we would naturally go to would be Psalm 133. Ian talks about it a lot. How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. It's like precious oil poured on the head, running down the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down to the collar of his robes. Are you getting the picture? It's as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord restore, bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. It's a beautiful picture. And Selwyn Hughes elaborates on it. He says, when we realize we share a common inheritance which is given us by grace and not through human effort, this, is, this produces in us a sense of fellowship which is unique and distinctive. There's nothing quite like it found anywhere else in society. The genial matiness of the pub or a club is trivial compared to the potential that exists in the koinonia. The stupidities and the inanities and the failures of the church, I know them all, he says. Nevertheless, there is a common bond, a common energy, and if we flow with it, it will lift us above all differences and factions to celebrate the true oneness we have in Jesus Christ. 
That's true, isn't it? In church, or I should say as church, we meet people that we wouldn't naturally um, come into contact with, but we know immediately that we're wanted and that the fellowship is so real. We've always got something to talk about because we love Jesus. Read Acts, the early days of the church, and we see how God was able to move in such power. In Acts 1 and 14, it says, they all joined together constantly in prayer. Acts 2 and 1, we know this one well, don't we? When the day of Pentecost came, here's the magic words, they were all together in one place. This is the church we want to be, to be seen to be. This is the kind of church which is attractive to people outside this building. They want reality, that what we say matches what we do and the people that we are. We don't ever want to be the kind of church that Paul is having to deal with in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We want people to come searching because they see the reality of the love that they crave in the people who gather here. Caleb expected unity, harmony, but he didn't find it among the children of Israel, and their unbelief robbed them of the blessing. It really, really robbed them. Secondly, Caleb expected the hand of God among God's people. He's saying to them, come on, these people are nothing to worry about because we've got God on our side. Surely, God had proved himself to them time and time again. They'd seen what he was capable of, the miracles that he performed, the provision that he made for them, the way he led them. Caleb was convinced we should go up and take possession of the land. We can certainly do it. Of course, they knew they weren't equipped or able from a human perspective, but he knew his God was, and that made him unstoppable. This is the same God that we're worshiping this morning. We are unstoppable in the power of God. One of my favorite scriptures is Isaiah 40 and 31. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They'll soar on wings like eagles. They'll run and not grow weary. They'll walk and not faint. You know about eagles' wings, right? Um, if an eagle's wings are set in a downward tilt when a storm comes, it will, be, it will be drawn towards the earth and it will just collapse. But if the wings are tilted upwards, it rises, bearing itself beyond the storm's fury. We have always to tilt our wings heavenwards in the storms that come our way, believing and praying, Lord, I know you're working all things for my good. Therefore, I will rise with you to see the whole thing from your point of view. If we can do this, then instead of being dashed on the ground, we'll soar above the storm. Matt Redman's song, Songs in, in the Night, is all about this. Let me read you the words. God, you can tell the waves be still, tell the oceans roar to pass. Lord, until it does, I'll wait here. God, you can part the raging sea, bring the miracle I need. Lord, until it comes, I'll wait here. And listen to these words. 
So when I am in the storm, the storm is not in me. Wow, do you get that? When I'm in the storm, when everything's going crazy around me, when I don't know what the solution is, when I, my heart breaks as I watch the television, when I'm in that storm, the storm isn't in me because I know I can trust him. You won't be my peace. I'll wait here. And I'll sing songs in the night, praising the storm, you're God in it all. And I will stand, I'll be still and know, whatever may come, you're God in it all. Your love won't leave me in the shadows. Your love forever by my side. I will not be afraid. You are my song in the night. When you're at your lowest and you feel you can't, you're absolutely right. But God can. Philippians 4 and 13 says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Caleb stood before the people, convinced they would be united in purpose to take the land. In his mind, he's seeing them moving forward. But it's another 38 years before there was a people who would trust the God of miracles and move forward to take the land. We have to catch this vision for Riverview and for our town. So let's believe God and go all out for him to bring his power and authority not just on a Sunday, but when we're, or when we're together. And, and it's easy. It's easy here to stand up and tell you about Jesus because you know, we're all of one mind. But let's do that. Let's be that outside. Let's be, let's be the people that Bonus needs to see. Let's not be like the people of Israel, unbelieving, untrusting. But let's take him at his word and see Bonus, one for him, Unbelief must not rob us of his blessing because it's not only his blessing, it's people's lives that depend on it. And finally, Caleb wants to share in the harvest intended for God's people. He's loving going on this journey with God. He's loving being among the people and seeing God move and all the mighty things that he's done. I want a share of that too. Caleb had seen the fruit in Canaan the spies had brought back huge clusters of grapes and they told about other, other fruit as well. They described it as a land flowing with milk and honey. All the spies said that. They'd all seen it and they'd all tasted it. And Caleb longed for another taste. He wanted to be involved in harvesting the fruit and he was ready to go in. We need to be involved in the harvest here when we really focus on what God is doing it takes our eyes away from the problems, away from our giants, and they are giants. Some people are going through things that are really difficult, and I'm not belittling any of that. But you know, our giants are minuscule to God. Our focus is off ourselves and onto God. Caleb had seen the fruit, and he'd seen the strong fighting force, the giants of Canaan, but his focus remained on his great big God. And he knew those giants were no match for him. Unbelief was not going to rob him of the blessing. Listen to Jesus speaking in John 4 and 34. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do, not say, do you not say four months more and then harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They're ripe for harvest. But in Matthew 9 and 37, he has to go on and say to his disciples, 
The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Oh, that God would find us ready and willing to help bring in the harvest. It's one of life's greatest opportunities for us all. So let's make sure our lives bear witness of whose we are. We have such an amazing God. And one of the biggest lies Satan will constantly come at us with, and Rosie touched on this as she was opening Connect Group, and hasn't that Connect Group this week just been amazing? I've been so touched and blessed by it. But Satan comes and he says, nobody's interested in your God. You want to talk about God? Nobody's interested. We might never know the pain that someone's going through, but we should take every opportunity to show everyone we meet that we have a God who loves them and can bring them freedom from every pain. Yes, not everyone's going to accept that, but we don't know how many actually will. Let's not be like the children of Israel who forgot the God of miracles and concentrated on all their attention on their problems. Caleb could make such a powerful charge because where others saw giants, he saw the Lord. Where others saw big giants and a little God, Caleb saw a big God and little giants. So let's accept Caleb's charge for us today and see people in Bones one for him. We're in this together. That's the amazing thing. In it together, we can expect to see God move. We've seen God move, haven't we? We've seen what he can do. And we can share in the harvest intended for God's people. Let's resolve today never to let unbelief rob us of the blessing. He's a little known character. I want to be a Caleb. Amen. <laughs>